this is our very first off-the-cuff informal podcast coming from our homes to yours. We've been away from our office for about a year now, almost exactly, in fact, and it's felt like a very long year at that. And put simply, we've been missing you. So we thought we'd mark this somewhat grim milestone by reaching out to you in a bit more of a personal way. So a gang of us in the HSF employment team thought it might be nice to just take five, or in this case, 15 or 20, to put the kettle on, have a cup of tea, or in my case, a cup of coffee, perhaps even with a biscuit on the side, and chew over one or two employment and HR issues of the day. And we're hereby inviting you to eavesdrop if you'd like to. So we'll see how we go, but the plan is for us to make this a series of podcasts over the coming weeks and months with different hosts from the team and hopefully some guest stars along the way. If you have any themes you'd particularly like us to touch on, then please feel free to drop your friendly team member a line with your suggestions. And as I say, it's all intended to be informal and accessible, but we really should try and focus it on what you want to hear rather than just what we think we want to talk about. So who are we for these purposes? That would be me, Tim Lever, one of the partners in the London team, sitting digitally next to my partner, Christine Young. Hello. Hello. And our senior associate, Dave Palmer. Hello. Hey, Dave. Dave joined the team just about a year ago, uh, having admirably faced down the challenge of joining a team who he has never actually had the opportunity to meet face to face because of lockdown. So well done, mate. Uh, and happy anniversary. Thanks. I really hope I don't disappoint the team when I meet them in person. I'm expecting some comments along the lines of, you look a lot fatter in real life. <laughs> and wow, the camera really makes your beard look less like a bird's nest. <laughs> we'll cross those bridges when we come to them. I wonder if our listeners are now wishing this was a visual webinar rather than just a podcast. Those of you with a keen ear for accents will detect that I am outnumbered two to one today. So I'm proposing to avoid any contentious topics such as the rugby or whether chips and cheese is, in fact, a thing. Um, Christine, uh, what, what are you drinking today? What's in your mug? I, I shouldn't be talking about brands, so, but fizzy oh, I, drink. I, I, it's I a believe fizzy you drink. have a, a soft beverage from another one of us. I right? do, so, but I'm not naming it. Very good. Very <laughs> um, good. Dave, uh, what's going on in your world right now? Well, I've got a one-year-old running about my house who's obsessed with the Teletubbies. And it's really bizarre because they, they play them all day on some obscure cable channel, like back-to-back -back episodes. It's like channel 4,312. And I'm not joking. My kid can't walk properly. She can't speak. But give her a remote control and she will find that channel. It is absolutely uncanny. So, yeah, that has been my new thing in my life is reacquainting myself with the Teletubbies. Well, let's just see that as a positive in terms of development of fine motor skills. Mm. Right. We better get started. Otherwise, we risk the intro becoming the conclusion. I don't think any of our listeners would want that. Given the reason that uh, we've decided to start this little series of podcasts, we thought our first chat might most aptly be around the topic of when are we all going back to the office then? Focusing a little bit on vaccinations and that rather unseemly expression of no jab, no job. Um, we also hope to have a little bit of time to touch on testing and in particular the role that rapid flow tests might have in the return to the workplace. Guys, just interesting, I noticed the other day a statistic, you may have seen it, that since the return of actual rather than homeschooling, there's been quite a significant increase in the number of people physically attending their workplace rather than working from home. 
And I was just wondering how we're feeling about that, given the government guidance on working from home where you possibly can did not change on the 8th of March. And it appears unlikely to change until the end of June at the earliest. Before we go any further, folks, what I've heard this phrase, what is a rapid flow test? Rapid flow test. Well, OK, uh, let me take that one. That's something I've been living and breathing for the last couple of weeks because my eldest son is at secondary school. So he's been doing these rapid flow tests. Let me briefly explain what I understand to be the case. These are the tests that can give you an answer as to whether or not you have the virus within about 30 minutes without the need for any medical assistance or intervention. Uh, it's pretty clever. I think it's based broadly on the technology that was supporting pregnancy tests and diabetes tests. And it is quite a simple piece of kit to use. In fact, I'm staring at one right now and we've got another stick sitting on the side on the kitchen table, uh, a little piece of plastic with a QR code on it and uh, a line indicating a positive or negative test result, which will sound familiar to many people, I'm sure. Uh, and many of our listeners will no doubt be doing this as well as parents of children at secondary schools. The most unseemly part of this, of course, is how one tests oneself requires some rather invasive use of a cotton bud to the back of the throat and up the nose. And the instructions that my son was given at his school was, if you're not gagging, you're not doing it right. Um, so, so with that rather unpleasant, somewhat graphic opening comment, uh, what I wanted to explore in a minute is the likely dynamic between vaccinations on the one hand, rapid flow tests on the other, and perhaps other COVID secure measures, which might allow businesses to encourage employees back to the workplace. Before we get there, Dave, can you just give us a steer on how you think the vaccination programme is going to play out? What's your best guess at how that might impact on the workplace and return to work? Well, we're hearing a lot about, and we're speaking to clients about the, the concept of a no jab, no job policy. Um, I do love the lockdown has just um, it spawned all these great slogans. There's another one to add, no jab, no job. Now, what do I mean by no jab, no job? Well, employers don't administer the jab, the NHS does. So the issue is really, can an employer have a policy under which it refuses to hire job applicants or withholds work or pay from employees or disciplines or dismisses employees who haven't had one or more of the vaccinations. And maybe we might get to a stage where the type of vaccine itself becomes important. For example, if there's going to be mutations and variants that go through the population. So it's not just as simple as having you even just having had one jab, because it could be your first or your second jab, or even the type of jab that you've had. Lots of things to think about. There are risks of no jab, no job. Lots of commentary on this online. I even did a webinar about it recently, looking at the situation around the globe in different jurisdictions. There's all sorts of issues around discrimination, unfair dismissal, employee relations issues, industrial relations issues of bringing in such a policy, adverse publicity. And I had an interesting chat with a colleague just the other day about how employers are actually going to find out if someone's had the jab or not, because they answer sensitive personal data and there are various hoops to jump through under the GDPR. And also, what if the employee lies? Are you going to ask them for evidence? So there's a lot of issues around how such a policy would be implemented. And I think the big question for me is, well, look, if you're, you're going to bring in this policy, what's the purpose of the policy? I've seen it said quite a lot in the, in the, in the press that, these policies would be to prevent transmission and protect customers, suppliers, other employees. And I'm just wondering whether that actually stacks up. 
I don't think there's a lot of evidence to say that all the vaccines used in the UK are 100% effective at preventing transmission. And from what I understand, the variants that are circulating seem to be better at evading existing vaccines than the, the original coronavirus as well. But I'm, I'm no scientist, but I just think there's a lot of thought that has to go into, well, what is the purpose of having such a policy? Now, I think, you know, vaccines aside and moving on to other topics that, you know, employers are going to be living with COVID safety measures for years to come. I was speaking to my wife the other night about how, and I know this isn't workplace related, will be a workplace for some people, but, you know, if we go to a wedding, then I wonder if it's going to be the case that you're allowed to have your mask off when you sit at the table, but actually when you go up to the bar, you have to wear your mask. Like, is there going to be things like that going on, like small mitigating measures that just overall reduce the impact of the virus and its transmission? Now, I was just thinking that through because with my accent in England, imagine trying to go up to a bar on a crowded night and ordering a double whiskey with a mask on. Like, that's just a no-go for me. So, personally, I've got a lot of issues that I need to overcome on that front. But I think, returning back to the workplace, you know, there's going to be one-way systems, hand gels, masks, testing, all that kind of stuff is going to come into play. But I do think, personally, and I wonder if either of you are going to disagree with me, that vaccines are still going to be the central issue for, you know, the population as a whole and for employers. Yeah, I think so, especially because I think it's likely to turn into an annual vaccine, a bit like the flu vaccine, which gets, you know, adapted year to year as COVID varies, you know, we've already got various variants, but, it, you know, as it, as it develops, then they develop the vaccine accordingly. But of course, you end up with the issue which you touched on, Dave, about there are certain people who actually shouldn't be or discouraged from taking the vaccine and employers are going to need to be quite careful about that. You know, we don't want to be suggesting that they detrimentally treat people who don't take the vaccine where they've got a legitimate reason for it. So, for example, at the moment, appreciate children are not in the workforce, but children aren't asked to have the vaccine, although I understand that that may well change. There's a press about certain individuals having blood clots. And so if you have a, a blood disorder, then actually it may be, um, you may be discouraged from taking the vaccine. So there may be disability discrimination risks if you detrimentally treat someone on that reason. And it's not impossible for us to end up in a discussion about religion and belief discrimination if someone has a belief system around not taking the vaccine and are detrimentally treated. So it, it is a bit of a, a challenging area, and I don't think I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. I think it is something that employers are going to need to think about going forward. I think that's got to be right. My biggest concern at the moment is people believing their own press, as it were. There are these additional duties that employers are subject to in terms of the way they treat their workforce, and some of those carry over into the service industry as well, particularly in relation to discrimination. But we see lots in the press around, you know, vaccine passporting. Uh, and the fact that the government initially discounted that as something. Uh, and now we've got a task force looking specifically at it. We've got airlines coming out and saying that they will be imposing a, a, a requirement to demonstrate you've had the vaccine before you get on a plane. Uh, and that goes to some of Dave's points there about a, va a vaccine may protect you, at least to some extent, but that might not necessarily protect others. And it will protect other people to varying degrees. So it isn't the answer. But my concern there is that people will get caught up in the press around vaccine passports and just assume, therefore, there's in a workplace, you can use that as a reason for uh, treating people differently. So, I mean, Christine, is this a different question to passports? Can we have, can we have uh, a kind of testing passport rather than a vaccine passport? Is that something that we can more likely impose upon the workforce, you know, a policy of if you haven't had a test 
you aren't coming in? Well, yeah, it's a good question. I think that you know, we've seen that, that 50,000 employers are able to apply for um, their testing kits and no doubt will we'll do. Indeed, but, indeed and I, they've only got a few more days to do so, I think. Indeed, they, indeed I, I applied yesterday for my lateral flow testing for my daughter who's at nursery. Um, so, you know, there's a, a lot of people taking this up. Um, so I think it's probably going to be a combination of the two, you know, getting getting the tests done frequently and trying to find a practical way of doing that um, in terms of staff and whether you're going to ask them to do it in addition to vaccination, I suppose. But again, with both of those, there's no legal requirement for people to take a test or a legal requirement for people to be vaccinated. So if you transpose that into employment, it's difficult for an employer to impose an obligation that is not imposed on the general public. And indeed, it very much depends on the, the sector that you're in and whether or not there are particular sensitivities. So, for example, if you work, say, in healthcare and dealing with vulnerable people, that might be quite different. And indeed, I know that there is debate about whether or not it will become a legal requirement for people working in care homes, for example, to have uh, the vaccine and obviously separate points about testing. So there is certainly and in, in, you know, an issue uh, that certain sectors may be more relevant about regular testing being done because of the consequences we've seen agencies saying that they won't give an agency contract if someone hasn't got a vaccine well might the same apply you must do some testing uh, regular testing before you continue to do your your work so it is a, it's a live question and i think it's going to be difficult to just say unilaterally you must do these things and indeed you should be looking at more persuasion um, or encouragement than a requirement to to necessarily do it. And you know, we're already seeing some case law looking at what happens if someone doesn't wear a mask and dismissal as a result of that. And that's, that's quite a complicated area. So I don't think there is a, a simple answer, but ultimately an employer does have a duty to protect the health and safety of that employer's staff, but you've got to find a sensible way to do it. And as you suggested, Tim, it might be a number of different things and also trying to encourage people to do these things rather than necessarily making it a requirement of their employment. It's like some of the other areas we see in employment law in terms of proportionate means of achieving a legitimate aim. So in other words, it's not one size fits all, but what might be right in one instance might not be justifiable in another, depending on risk assessment. And as you say, without government intervention mandating some of these things, which gives you a defence, therefore, that you're complying with the statutory requirements, then people are going to be treading a very difficult tightrope for quite some time. We've seen this with employers asking, you know, we've got clients who are multinationals asking questions about having a campaign across the globe for staff, but actually that raises questions about what they can do and not do in each country. So you have to look at these things at a local basis as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't know about you, but I can see the bottom of my mug now. So that probably means we're reaching the end of the, the slot. So I think where we've landed is that there's a, a realistic prospect that there's no big bang answer on the 21st of June, that everyone can go back to work and not have to worry about social distancing and other health and safety measures. I mean, certainly the health secretary's indicated that as winter and autumn close in, there may be a, a refreshed need to do things like uh, wear masks in public places and carry out social distancing and the like as the, the flu season uh, comes upon us. 
how that's going to work in practice uh, concerns me a bit, particularly in relation to vaccines and testing. And my biggest concern on that is that we may end up with a two-tier workforce, those who are able freely to go to uh, the workplace without fear of suffering any complications or uh, significant unwellness versus those who, for good and proper reasons, choose not to have the vaccine or unable to have the vaccine. And we start seeing some of the progress that's been made in the last few years in terms of redressing the equality balance, particularly in gender and disability spheres. We see that being eroded. And I know that that is a topic that's on a lot of people's minds in many different areas at the moment. Look, just before we wrap up, let's leave listeners with these more positive thoughts. Number one, Christine, what is it that made you smile this week? Oh, my daughter is learning to walk. So she's she's got her arms out as if she's a living dead walking around the house. It's hilarious. Perfect. Dave, what have you got? Well, the ludicrous suggestion at the start of this talk that there was no such thing as chips and cheese. What did I live on for four years as a student (laughs) in Scotland? I certainly enjoyed that. (laughs) Uh, For me, it was my youngest son finally finishing his painting of a psychedelic zebra which has taken about five weeks and his granddad has now made him a frame to put it in, which we may even be able to go and pick up next week from his garden as uh, restrictions are eased. That's it for today's Chit Chat. Almost certainly not as entertaining as Gogglebox, but we hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation nonetheless. Next time, as a break from all things COVID, uh, we thought we might try and reflect a little bit on the recent government consultation on the issue of non-competes. As we said at the outset, Given this is new for us, please do let us have any feedback and suggestions for improvements or future topics. We really want to connect with you through this series and any suggestions on ways in which we can do that better will always be welcome. For now, though, have a good day. Take time for yourself. And if you have time, maybe even do one more thing to brighten somebody else's day in some way. But from us, that is bye for now.